congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, like I said, this afternoon we will look at Article 1 of our Belgian Confession. And the first thing that we should notice when we were reading Article 1 is that our Confession very correctly begins by just asserting that God is. God exists, period. The Confession does not begin by giving all sorts of proof that God exists. We do not need to prove that God exists at all. God himself has done that abundantly and convincingly. We need to believe him and we need to believe in him. And this is what we then confess with the first words of our article. We believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God. Now for you, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not so difficult to confess this because you have learned to know God as the Lord Jesus revealed him to you. It's one of the reasons our Lord Jesus came into the world, to reveal God the Father to us. And, and, and because you believe in him, you recognize God's almighty power and divine nature in everything that God has created. God has abundantly proved that he exists. So we don't need to do that to anyone. We just only need to state God is. Now, unbelievers are able to see the same things you do in creation. And they do see them. But because of their unbelief, they suppress what they see and end up worship, worshiping created things instead of the creator. And that is why we with Romans 1 verse 20 believe that those unbelievers, the ungodly, they have no excuse for not recognizing God in the things that are so clearly revealed to them. And moreover, God has implanted the seed of religion into every man, woman, boy, and girl, whoever lived and whoever will live into this world. And this is evident by the fact that, that every human being in the world, deep in his heart, knows that God does exist. And this then explains how there is no nation or people under the sun that is without a religion. God himself shows every day and in many ways that he exists. Everyone knows it, but unbelievers suppress, smother this knowledge in unrighteousness. Now, continuing in Article 1, we will be reminded of, uh, about of things that we must never forget. And this article begins with a confession. We all believe with the heart and we confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is... And then with a little phrase, who is, the confession sets out to describe two different things about God. 
it describes God's nature. You could say it describes his being, and it describes God's attributes or his characteristics. Now, before we go on now, the confession only described what God has revealed to us about himself. You could say that the confession just repeats what God has told us about himself in the Bible. But God is immeasurably greater than us. And so to know everything about God is totally impossible for us. God is so great that we, our minds, are too small to understand everything about him. And so we need to be very reverent this afternoon because it is about God who is absolutely holy, he's totally different, he's majestic, he is awesome, and he is to be feared. With a confession, we are going to study a little about God himself this afternoon, and by doing that, we are really ready to tread upon very holy ground. So we study about God not out of brazen curiosity, as the Israelites did, for example, when they looked into the ark of God when it was returned from the Philistines in the time of Samuel. We study about him so that we might more and more stand in awe and that we are then also better motivated to reverently worship him for who he is. And so that we are able also to worship him better and witness about him more and more accurately. Now, so let's look at our confession. As it done based upon God's word, describes the only one God. And then, as I already mentioned, he describes his being and his attributes. Now, first on about God's being. Quoting the confession again. We believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is a simple and a spiritual being. This is how the confession describes God's being. He may also say God's nature. Now, what does it mean when it says that God is a simple being? Is it not totally irreverent to call God a simple being? And to be sure, if we with the word simple would mean what we most times mean when we are talking about a simple person, then it would be unbelievably blasphemous to say such a thing. Because when we call a person simple, we mean at best a person who is somewhat naive, simple-minded, uncomplicated, happy-go-lucky person. That's what we mean. So you feel already that the, the confession does not at all intend to say that God in any way reveals himself as being simple in that sense. You see the word simple comes from the Latin word simplex, and this word simplex signifies something or someone who is one. In, a, in our case, God. He is one. He is 
undivided, not composed of different parts. God is one. Dat is wat de confession means when it says that God is a simple being. He is one. He is, not, he is undivided, not composed of different parts. You see, we human beings, we are made up of different parts. You could say a body and a soul. And if you separate them, then we cease to be human beings. And if we are the Lord's people, then there is a further division. We have been given a new nature in addition to the old nature. And this division plagues us as God's people. So that we have to agree with the Apostle Paul that the good we want to do, we do not do. And the evil that we don't want to do, that is what we do. Our actions often contradict our desires. We have different moods and, uh, and we have our different characteristics and they reveal themselves different at times. At, once, at the same time, a person can be seen as very patient while at other times he's very impatient. Sometimes a person can be Perceived as friendly, in other times as unfriendly, honest, but under different circumstances, dishonest. That's totally impossible with God. We believe that there is only one God. This means that he is absolutely unique. And this unique God is one in being, one in essence. God is one. He is a simple, undivided, also undividable being. And God himself is very clear about this. When in the Bible he says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This means that God cannot, like we do so often, contradict himself. Now, that's just the beginning, and it may be difficult, But it is important because we all need to know the truth about God. Now, why is it so important for us to know that God is one? In other words, that God is a simple being. It is important because especially in our time, a lot of people claiming to be believers, they divide God. One says, for example, God is only love. Then another says, no, he is also righteous and just. Yes, okay, says the next, but his love is greater than all. But the truth is that God is a simple being. He is not composed of separate parts, but he is one. And that means that God is 100% love. God is 100% just. God is 100% light. God is 100% life. God is 100% faithful, 100% holy, 100% mercy, and so on. And he is all these things, 100% at the same time, all the time. He is one. All those things are one in him. But to get your mind around, 
But we need to know this because this is about the God we worship. And we want to worship him rightly. So that means that we may not and we cannot pitch one of his attributes, one of his characteristics over against another, as if one would cancel out the other, as if, for example, his love would blunt his, uh, even undo his justice. Such is impossible for God is a simple being. It's also very important for, to know for us, for our salvation. When we confess our sins to God, he is 100% faithful to his promise to forgive us our sins, while at the same time he is also 100% just as he has punished those sins in his son. And now we need to move on because with our confession we also confess that God is a spiritual being. And it says this, of course, because God, uh, the Lord Jesus taught us this in, in John 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. It means that God does not have, not like us, a physical body. He is spirit. And as we just said, God is a simple being. He is not composed of different parts, body and spirit. God is spirit. Now the awful dangerous thing for us people is that we have a real hard time of conceiving of, of someone real who is a spirit, who is therefore invisible. And hardly pictured up being real. And so We, we, can, we, we cannot imagine something that, that we cannot see to be real. And therefore, we are always tempted, or is it only in our mind, to imagine God in some form or another. The problem is that we are creatures, we cannot imagine anything uncreated. And so any image we form in our mind of God is of something created. And then is a search an insult to God. It demeans him. See how easy it is for us created human beings to begin to worship something created instead of the creator. That's why John Calvin calls the human heart an idol factory. The only way that we from the heart can join with this part, article one of the Belzer Confession and love it is by God-given true faith. Any other way is at, be, is, is at best giving lip service to a statement that's actually foreign to us. This is our God. This is the God that we must worship and love, as he is, just as he has revealed himself to us. So once more, 
There is only one God who is a simple and a spiritual being. And that's the way it is. That's how he has revealed himself to us. And again, a God who is not one, but who is divided. A God whose love overtakes his justice, whose righteousness is blunted by his mercy, whose holiness is tempered by his compassion, is only an abominable image made after people's religious desires. And worshipping such a God is idolatry. It renders people without excuse at the, at the judgment throne of God, just as much as they would have been worshipping the sun or the moon. Now, I agree, special young people, children, that it all sounds so doctrinal, so theological, philosophical even, if you want. And I know the questions, such as, do we really need to know all this? Do we really need to clutter my mind with all this? Can I not simply believe and say, I have no other creed but Christ? Is it not enough to only know that I love Jesus and he loves me? I know, and maybe you do too, that this is the prevailing sentiment among many who claim to be Christian, even among actually, shamefully, many Reformed Christians. And it even sounds somewhat pious. Jesus loved me and, and, he lo and, and, and I love him. That's enough. Well, let me ask some questions too, just a few. When you talk about God, do you then also not talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he not truly God? And what kind of love is it that wants to remain ignorant about the person you claim to love? In other words, if you think that what God has revealed about himself to you is too theological, and it is enough to have no creed but Christ, are you sure that you really love God? Are you sure that you really love the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God? He has given you his word, and in it, he reveals all those things about himself to you so that you would worship him rightly. No, I want one creed, but Christ. Is that love? And can we go through our lives without anything less than love for God? As he is. just asking. God himself wants you to know him. And that is why he has revealed these things about himself to you. And not only these things, but also as our article of this, article of this noon continues, with his attributes, with his characteristics from the Bible, our article states that God, who is a simple spiritual, 
spiritual being is as such also eternal and incomprehensible, invisible and immutable. All big words. And they know that it continues on with the words infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. But for this afternoon, I would like to stop by immutable and deal with those first, first four attributes this afternoon and then leave the next six for next week, Sunday afternoon. Some people like to call these qualities, God's attributes, as people call them, God's characteristics. This afternoon, I would like them to call them God's excellencies or his virtues. Why? Because that's how the Bible calls them. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Excellencies. Now this verse goes down right away handy because it tells us precisely why we need to know all these excellencies of God. We as God's children are chosen by God to declare, to proclaim those excellencies to God to others. And to each other. That's what we are called to do. See now, and how can you proclaim those, those things, those attributes, characteristic excellencies? Well, you would agree with modern Christianity that learning all these things is not important and too much work and too theological. So, when it comes down to it, all these things that we read in Article 1 are the most basic knowledge for a Christian. Because God has chosen you to proclaim them. So going back to the article, that we read then the first attributes, the third excellency is that God is eternal. So what does that mean? What does eternity mean? Many people understand eternity to be the same as everlasting time. Time without beginning and without end. But it's really not correct. Time itself is created by God. And this means that God existed before time began. God is outside of time. God is eternal. You see, time can be divided up into the past, the present, and the future. Eternity cannot be divided. Remember, God is one. He is not composed of parts. So when we say that God is eternal, then this means that also here, he cannot be divided. The Bible tells us about God that he is the Alpha and the Omega. God is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. 
And this means that with God there is no time. There is no succession of moments. He lives in the eternal present, in the eternal now. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly God, but he also became truly man. And according to his human nature, he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. But according to his divine nature, he is God. He only is God. But for God, the world's history from its very first second to the very last blink of an eye is one picture, one event. In eternity, God made a plan and he decided to work that plan out in time. The time that he would create. You and I, every second of our lives, all our actions to its minutest detail are part of the plan. And if you pay attention, we see some of the plan unfolding in most wonderful ways. But for God, this plan is not a developing event but it's a clear and a finished picture that glows with his glory. Awesome, huh? Can you understand all this? No, I can't either. But is it not awesome to worship such a God, to be a child of such an eternal God, no, we cannot understand it all. And it's not our fault at all. Because, and that is because God is also, and here is the next attribute, the next excellency that our confession proclaims, is that God is incomprehensible. Now, that word incomprehensible means that God is impossible to completely understand with our mind. Does that mean then that we cannot know God? Well, yes and no. When we say yes, then we mean that we can know what he has revealed about himself to us. We can know what he wants us to know. What we therefore need to know in order to love and worship him. But when we say no then we mean that there is way more, infinitely more about God than he has revealed to us. Even the excellencies which he has made known to us are infinitely greater than we are able to comprehend, than we are able to understand. God is just so great that we cannot get our mind around him. That's why God says in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So far, remember so far, Job's friend? He said it this way, can you find out the deep things about God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? It is deeper than Sheol. What can you know? 
His measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And so the only thing we know is that we must worship him for what and who and how he is. God is the creator. We are creatures. That's a huge difference. If we would be able to know God as he knows himself, then we have to be as God. We can only know God as an infant knows its father. And that's enough and glorious at the same time. Many people, it is too much. They only want one creed, and that's Christ. And they have no idea about the God that they are worshiping. They have no idea about the God whose name they take upon the lips so often. Sad, because God had revealed it to them. Think about God. He's, he does not need anything or anyone. He does not need you or me. He is perfectly happy and satisfied in himself and by himself. God has all he needs within himself. And this awesome God wants you to know so much about him. He wants you to be his child. And he knows you better than you will ever know yourself. And he wants you to know as much as about him, about him as is good for you. So yes, God is incomprehensible. That means he is impossible to fully understand with our mind. We cannot picture him in any way, therefore. But all this does not put him far away from us. You see, if we, if we talk about God like in those terms that we just do, then he becomes so holy. He becomes so far away, so inapproachable for us. But God, but God did not want that to happen. And so he draws near to us. And he let us know in his Bible that he has counted the very hairs of your head. He knows it already before there is even a word upon your lips. He loves you and so desires you love. And again, how absolutely awesome is he? And our confession goes on and it states also that God is invisible. The Bible says in John, 1 John 4 verse 12, no one has ever seen God. To Moses, God said in Exodus 33, verse 20, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see my face and live. And then it is true, we read in the Bible that some people, for example, Hagar and Isaiah, you read about that they saw God. But every time that happened, they saw God in a form that fitted their capability to understand and to endure. But he did not see him as he is. God is spirit. We cannot see a spirit. But invisible as he is, he, is, he always sees you. You are always completely visible to him all the time. And even your most secret thoughts are for him an open book. 
His you tears, he sees them and he counts them. You fears, he knows, and your heart, he wants. God is invisible, but he's there all the time. And then the next thing our confession says about God that he is immutable. And the good English word for this is that he is unchangeable. This means that God does not get older. God does not grow. God does not change his mind. Therefore, his word cannot be broken. Therefore, God's love endures forever. And his mercies have no end. All his promises and warnings are always yea and amen. His wrath over sin is unchangeable too. He is unchangeably angry with those who continue to reject his love and rebel against him. You see, brothers and sisters, I believe that the lot of ignorance among Christians about God himself is that many regard the Old Testament as irrelevant to us, the New Testament Christians. When you speak about God punishing sin, you hear them saying at times, yes, but that is the God of the Old Testament. We now live in the New Testament. This is nonsense, of course, but it's done exactly the reason of their ignorance about God. God does not change. What he loved in Jacob, he still loves. What he hated in Esau, he still hates. God justified Abraham because Abraham believed God and God still justifies all those who believe in him. God blesses his people in the Old Testament for the same reason he blesses them now. As he thwarted the plans of ungodly Haman in the Old Testament, so he thwarts the plans of his people's enemies now. And whatever offended his holiness in the Old Testament does offend his holiness still. And it makes you shiver. Really. Because in the Old Testament, God showed a couple of times what would happen to people who forget his holiness. Remember Uzzah holding the ark on the cart? And, and then think how in our time, even in, among us Reformed people, we can be so flippant about taking God's name upon our lips. We even can stand it when people tell jokes about biblical and godly things. He hated in the Old Testament, he still does. And when people in the Old Testament didn't go away with it, people in the New Testament don't get away with it either. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. So, brothers and sisters, what a lot is that to learn from this first article, and we only have briefly looked at the four of those ten excellencies that this article proclaims. And, and now it's already time to finish. So our God is awesome, holy, 
And I hope that for the first time or again, you have this afternoon, discover that too. And boys and girls, I know, young people, I know that this is difficult for you. But it is important because it is about God. And if you want to ask questions after the service, come up and, and let's talk. And it counts, of course, also for the younger and the older adults. It is too important. Because you need to see how great and glorious and awesome God is. It's your God. It's not a God you can manipulate. It's not a God that you can be flippant about. It's a God that takes you, who takes your breath away. You worship in awe. This only God in which you believe with all your hearts and, from, and whom you must, must confess with the mouth wants you to see him as he is, as he has revealed himself. And he loves you. When you join the Apostle Paul, as he worships God in Romans 11, verse 33, when he says, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment, and his path beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him, for from him and through him and to him are all things, so to him be the glory forever. Amen.